The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, The Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Welcome. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm Linda Sharkey, your host, and we've just been having a great series of the last couple of weeks. We've had so many terrific people on the show. Very excited about it. I'm also very excited about I'm doing a uh, my trans-global leader workshop and simulation for uh, my alma mater in Rochester in May. Uh, they're considering using the program as part of their international studies. And it's a great, great course. Why, why I love it is because it really helps people get into what it feels like working with people who have uh, different perspectives on uh, business culture, on country culture, who have perhaps different sets of values that they're experiencing, and helping people figure out how in a very complex world, in a very global world, that uh, they can begin to build relationships with one another and absolutely create a great new environment. So it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, some of my Fortune 10 clients use it as part of their learning and development uh, initiatives. And it has a survey connected with it, and it's a great program. So I'll be interested to see how it applies in the academic world and how it applies to students. But that said, um, today I have with me Sean Murray. And we met at a conference on culture. And I was really impressed with the discussion that's that uh, Sean went into. Uh, he's quite a thought leader in the area of workplaces and leadership and organizational culture and climate. So I've, I've asked Sean to join me today so we could talk about his new book. And I just found out uh, when we were talking earlier that he's going to be working on another one, his new book, uh, Optimistic Workplaces. And I love that phrase, and I love the whole notion of creating places that are positive, where people can really feel like they're contributing. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, hello, and thank you for having me on the show. Well, I'm just delighted to have you. I wanted to ask you, you you, you talk about uh, Rich Sheridan in uh, your book, and did did you meet Rich? I did, and Rich and I have actually been, uh, we've become friends. Uh, I got to spend, 
Oh, I think probably four days there at Menlo Innovations, um, talking with employees, and uh, we've since I've had many conversations uh, since his book came out and, and mine as well. Right. Well, well, I had Rich on the show, and we talked about his book, um, Joy, Inc., and it was quite um, fascinating, the kind of workplace that he's created and, and how people feel about working there and his view of how he lives the values. I thought it was really pretty exciting. Is Are his offices really in a basement? They are. And you wouldn't know it by how lively people are down there. You know, there are no windows. Uh, there are no... Uh, there's only, I think, one way in, uh, but it's all glass enclosed, so at least there's a sense of openness there. Um, but yeah, they're in a basement. Wow. So is there any natural light coming in there? No, no. Wow. No. I don't think I'd like that, though. Well, you know, it's. I think what he's done that kind of counters the, the lack of natural sunlight is he's created a really energizing work environment. When you walk in to uh, the, the office, it's an open environment, so there are no, uh, nobody's in cubes, nobody is in offices. They have meeting spaces that are behind closed doors. But, mm-hmm. So when you walk in, it's just very electric, you know, lots of energy people talking with each other, so you can just feel the, 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 the enthusiasm that people have for the work that they're doing. Yeah, and one of the one of the things he told me, which I thought was really, really interesting, that he always has two people working together on a project, and you know he changes and rotates those two people so that everybody gets to know each other, you know, kind of on a personal level, and um, and and also that it builds capacity, it builds knowledge and um, and uh, experience in others. I thought that that was really pretty cool. Did you see that going on? I did, um, and they rotate everybody weekly. So, mm-hmm. you know, this week it might be you and me partnering up on our projects, and then next week you'd be working with somebody else and, and me as well. And I think from an optimistic workplace perspective, what that does is it creates a sense of relatedness that people mm-hmm. share um, this. One, they have a shared understanding of of pretty much everybody that works within the organization Two, there's no like, oh, I didn't know we had that project going on because you're constantly being moved from project to project. Um, so there's just this, this shared experience that really starts to emerge from the, the pairing. And you know, that's an important part to workplace optimism is people finding that sense of belonging and having that camaraderie with their peers. So how do they keep... Um uh, you know, the project's going with all those people uh, rotating every week. Because I'm imagining some of these projects are kind of longer term, right? Yeah, and, and complex. Yeah. Um, well, they do a couple of things that I think really are trend-setting, uh, but also good examples of what optimistic uh, environments do. One is every morning, I can't remember the time, I think it's like 10.15 in the morning, uh, the dart, they have a dartboard, and the dartboard chimes, and that's everybody's cue to get in a big circle. And they had, at the time that I was there, they had about 50-plus employees. And they go around and do a stand-up meeting in 15 minutes, and people um, stand in pairs, and they hold a, uh, a Viking hat, and they give their updates, and then they pass the Viking hat to the next pair, and 
so I think that that helps them move things along pretty quickly and stay informed. Um, they also have their customers come in on a regular basis to give them direction on the next sprint because they practice um, agile project management there. Mm-hmm. So they're really intimately involved with the customer on a regular basis. They have regular meetings with the customer to get his or her perspective on you know the work that they did and the work that's coming. So there's just um, an absolute sense of clarity that permeates the work environment and that helps them really do what they need to do to be successful and and find that what they're doing is enjoyable. Yeah. Well, that's that that's, that really is very exciting. I saw that uh, I saw that in your in your initial chapter in the book, and I thought it was very very interesting. So, um, tell me what made you think about optimistic workplaces. What what drove you there? Well, there there are really two major influences on this, and I'll spare everyone the long history, but. Um, when I was 19, and I'm now in my mid-40s, I spent time doing mergers and acquisitions, and I was part of the team that would come in and prepare the workforce for the new way of doing business. And I mm-hmm. learned how horrible large organizations are with doing mergers and acquisitions, and especially when it comes to culture change. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I used to do very similar things. And it's in its own many ways. It's dehumanizing. Uh, it's infuriating, um, and and oftentimes feels uncoordinated. And communication is you know goes into black holes. So it's just really often not a good experience for people. Um, and I just got to a point where I couldn't believe the things that would go on on either side of you know the acquired or the acquiree. And it just got me thinking, you know, there's got to be something more here. And, and that has always stuck with me uh, in my career in learning and development, organizational development, organizational behavior. And it, what was really the final straw, I was working for a Fortune 100 company, one of you know, best place to work. And <laughs> I was responsible for a tuition reimbursement program. And... Uh, I shared, I was giving the recommendations to improve the program to the VP of HR, and she said to me, and I suggested that, you know, if an employee wants to take classical guitar lessons and it makes them, you know, feel good about it and they're happier, we're going to benefit from that. And the VP of HR said, Sean, we are not here to help people self-actualize. And... I can almost hear that conversation, Sean, because I had a very, very similar experience. You know, I used to run those, uh, you know, tuition reimbursement, and if it wasn't directly career-related, you know, they they dug it out. And, you know, didn't realize that they were losing a huge creativity and a huge loyalty factor in helping people gain what they they were excited about. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know now today that when an employee can actually step away from work, which is more difficult today than when this actually happened, um, when, but when people can step away and pursue other parts of their lives, they actually bring more back of themselves to their work. And 
you know, call it what you will, the VP of HR just didn't see that and didn't see the relevance from a business perspective. And I felt it was short-sighted. Um, it went across some of my personal values, and I just said, I can't do this. I can't work for this person. Um, so that really just prompted me to, to, fit, to go out and find what are these organizations doing out there that actually have created uh, an energizing, positive, optimistic work environment, and off I went. This is a great place to break uh, to take a uh, break, uh, Sean, because when we come back, I want to talk about what you found and some other sort of startling things that, that I saw in your book and some of the experiences. So stay with us. We're talking to Sean Murphy. He is the CEO of uh, Switch and Shift, a consulting organization that does a lot of work around how do you create optimistic work- workplaces. So stay with us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Wednesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for our special series on game-changing HR leaders. Learn how you can become the savvy leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next wave of business innovation. Game-changing HR leaders presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag iLeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to iLead, the leadership connection. Welcome back. We're talking to Sean Murphy, the CEO of Switch and Shift, and we're talking about his most recent book, Optimistic Workplaces, and actually we were sharing a lot uh, about Richard Sheridan, who is the CEO of uh, Menlo Innovations, and by all accounts, uh, he's he's been on our show, on, uh, on the show I interviewed him, and uh, you can listen to it. He's done some really phenomenal things in creating just a great uh, place to work. Um, 
So, so tell me, Sean, we were talking just before we took a break, that you went out then and in search of these optimistic workplaces. What, what did you find? Well, what I found is that those organizations that are known to be great places to work, and not necessarily on you know, the, the fortune list of great places to work, but have a reputation. What I found is that there are, um, uh, it's, it's a rich interaction between you know, having a people-centric belief and a couple of other factors. And, and if you'll indulge me for a second, sure. I went in with an assumption that these organizations that I ultimately featured in the book were people first. And what I found was that it wasn't that simple, that they were very purpose-driven, um, and that purpose drove meaningful work. People actually felt like there was significance to what they were doing. And that's, that meaningful work drove and attracted extraordinary people and developed extraordinary people. And then, and then that fed back into the meaningful work and advanced the purpose. And it was a surprise to me that it was much more dynamic. But at the same time, I think when we all have a question, you know, if we're open-minded, we're going to find an answer that surprises us. And that was definitely a surprise when I went out there and, and spent time in these organizations. Well, you know, intuitively that makes a lot of sense because purpose is yeah. becoming such an important factor of organizations today, much more so than vision and mission, which were all these mechanical kind of strategic things that people had to think about. Purpose and getting down to what is really meaningful and doing something that's making a difference is, is huge. However, I would like to ask you something because there are a lot of places that are a great place to work. And you can go to so many of these places that apply, and I actually happen to know some of them, that are actually not doing very well at all and have successive years won a great place to work, maybe not in their particular uh, headquarters, though the one I'm thinking about is won it quite frequently. Have you experienced that? <laughs> yes, I have personally. Actually, yeah, um, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's and it's it's surprising, isn't it? I think yes. You 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 hear and read about these organizations, and of course, how they're presented for judgment um, sounds so ominous. Uh, <laughs> how they're presented is, of course, in the best light. And what I find, and this fortunately wasn't the case in the organizations that I ultimately featured, but what I found is that oftentimes there's a huge disconnect between what the organization says they're about and what the employee actually experiences. Because those those beliefs and uh, the practices don't... You know, filter down to the to the middle layer of the organization, and employees kind of go, "That's our organization, right?" Um, but right. So it made me know. slightly cynical because of those experiences, and because of working with some of these companies, it it made me a little cynical about great places to work. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can I can see that. I think you know the. As long as human beings are going to be involved in work, which 
yes, we're seeing a bunch of AI stuff and, and robotics and whatnot, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't foresee a future where people aren't involved in work. Um, it's going to be messy, and it doesn't matter if it's messy in a completely dysfunctional organization or one that is uh, more enlightened. Um, you know, we are complex people, and, and I think the, the, the successful ones recognize the mess, the messiness, and still can uh, work with people in a way that helps them, you know, reach peak performance. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when you, uh, you know, there's a lot been written about Google and other places like that, that, um, uh, you know, Google did a, it was published recently and I was just talking about it with an, with uh, somebody who else is going to be on the show next week, did a lot of uh, research on what made great teams. And one of the things that they found was that the really great teams connected with each other on an emotional level and often appeared to be kind of like maybe even a little messy and how they um, did things together. It wasn't by Robert's rules of order and, you know, it wasn't like tightly facilitated and, and all of that kind of stuff, but that they were highly creative and highly successful. So it sort of smacked at some of the things that we used to believe you really had to have um, for great teams. So I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this point that you see that, you know, people don't need to have all that sort of process and control, and I'm I'm, I'm hearing that from you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've I have worked in highly high functioning teams, and to go to go along with what you're what you're talking about and what you've observed, when you work really well with people, you're, you're running with trust, and mm. when people mess up, you you just kind of Adjust to the to the screw up, adapt, and you move forward. Right, you you, you figure it out what happened, and then you move on. Um, so there is this fluidity, and because you know each other well enough, you don't need structure to give you a direction. Right, you you know there's a shared understanding of what needs to be done, who does what, and it's very intuitive. That's been my experience in in high performing teams. Is you know, Linda's got her focus areas, and every once in a while she might come into my area and, and need something from me, or we need to collaborate, and we do it, and then we move on. Right? It's 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 much more fluid. Yeah, I I see that. So so, what do you see as the future of the workplace? I mean, you have a whole chapter on that, and I'd, I'd be really interested in you sharing that with our audience. Yeah, this is a, a fun topic. I, I think there's a couple of things that I would that come to mind right away, and, and that I've written about. I think one is we're going to continue to see uh, more people doing what we call the gig economy. Right, more people are finding greater fulfillment from doing their own thing, and um, and we call it the constellation effect where we might have a project and we work with a whole sea of of solopreneurs who help that we'll bring in to help us deliver you know the services that we've been hired for and so i think we're going to see that much more networked way of working um but you know i think there's a, a an asterisk next to that as we see 
more as we learn more about what this new arrangement is like from companies like Uber or Lyft or Airbnb, you know, we're starting to see some of the the ugly sides of that, which is you know, the company's making lots of money, but the people who are doing the work really aren't. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how that flavors the way that people actually go about, you know, coming together and collaborating on a project and then disbanding when that when that's done. Yeah, uh, and and you know, you're going to see, I think, a. a a major flux around all of that kind of thing. And it's really going to shake up the whole makeup of yeah. what companies really look like going forward. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that I would add, you know, and, and we could probably spend a whole hour just talking about this, but, you know, as, as more um, younger employees, and I, by younger I'm saying in their late 40s and then in their 50s, as their parents start the, the end of their life phase, I think more and more organizations are going to have to adapt to the reality that there's going to be a huge part of their workforce that is caring for an ailing or dying parent. And mm. right now, we've got some really outdated practices from HR that make it very difficult for employees to, to take the time that they need to care for an ailing parent or a dying parent. So I think we're going to see some, uh, at least I'm hopeful, <laughs> some revolution in, in the type of uh, benefits that are given to employees who are in that boat. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I think a lot of the HR practices of the 20th century are just not going to carry forward in the 21st century, especially, uh, you know, if we are moving more towards a, a, a gig economy especially if we're going to have people not working for more than two to three years for any one given employer. A lot of things are going to have to be rethought and very different, like compensation, like pensions, like benefits, all of these things that seem to be kind of HR bread and butter, I think are going to go away. Yeah. There's a strong argument that, you know, the benefits and the payroll, which currently in most organizations reside in HR, Mm-hmm. That that actually goes to finance because it's really when you boil it down, those are financial decisions that an organization makes around right. benefits, um, you know, payroll processing. Um, it's really I don't see it as uh, an HR competency. I see HR as you know what we're seeing in in the tech industry, the people office, right, where mm. they're more interested and and empowered to prepare the workforce to be able to better support its strategic direction. Um, and, I, and I think we need to see HR move in that direction. Yeah, and you know, it's really sad, and uh, in, in, you know, I've worked with a number of companies that, uh, you know, so many of the HR people were not about the people, which I found kind of shocking. I'm like, well, if you don't know who the talent is, and you're not like assessing and coaching them and developing them, what are you doing? I, I, I never could figure that out, particularly. Yeah. Well, you, what's interesting is having, having come from HR, I never did the employee relations work. I, I just didn't want to do it. But that type of work really jades uh, an HR professional. I mean, just yeah. the things that they see. 
So I think in part it's a byproduct of the nature of work that yeah. they become a little jaded about human nature and, and what people will do that really isn't in the best interest of the organization themselves or their peers. Yeah. And, you know, I always say when you're in that, I, I did do some employee relations, but not a lot. And uh, I, I actually worked for a labor union for a, long, uh, a while, and that's what got me into the more organization development side of things and leadership because, you know, you began to see that these negative relationships just were so enervating. And, ugh. but I, it caused HR, I think, in many ways to create policies for the 10% that were breaking the rules and instead of looking at the 90% that were doing things well. You know, we're t- we need to take a break, but a great conversation with Sean Murphy, CEO of Switch and Shift, author of a fabulous book, Optimistic Workplaces, and we have to talk about the new one that you're, you're <laughs> going to be bringing out pretty soon, uh, Sean, but stay with us. We're going to be talking further about how do you create optimistic work- workplaces and Uh, what are some of the the downsides that you have to think about? Um, Because it's not all, you know, uh, nirvana out there. So stay with us. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag I Lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. We're having a great conversation with Sean Murphy, um, 
CEO of Switch and Shift, and we're talking about optimism in the workplace and creating positive places where people can really thrive. Um, you know, one of the things that you say in your book, which kind of intrigued me, Sean, was the distinction between climate and culture. Hmm. Can, you, yeah. can, can, can you say a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. So culture is how things get done around an organization and, you know, the underlying beliefs that we have about people and about how things should be done uh, and, you know, the assumptions and behaviors. Very difficult to change culture. Um, In fact, Harvard Business Review, their new issue said that you can't fix culture, which is kind of, you know, kind of a rebellious thought. Culture or climate, on the other hand, is uh, how, how it feels to work somewhere. And what we've learned about climate is that it's significantly influenced by employee perception that's shaped by the employee's management's leadership style. So, which isn't really a surprise if you think about it, that, you know, an employee... Not at all, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they interact with their manager on a regular basis, um, and if that manager is good at what she does she's going to have a very positive influence on her people. So from an, from an optimistic workplace perspective, it feels optimistic. And when we talk about wanting to move the culture or change the culture, you know, it, you, it's almost kind of like a Bruce Lee. You don't actually go at the thing that's coming at you, you actually kind of use climate. This is probably a horrible metaphor as I'm saying this. I'm like, this is really confusing. Um, (laughs) But use climate to be able to move the organization in the direction of the the culture that they want Um, because climate is easier to, to, uh, to address. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big debate about that. So it would be be interesting to, to see that. Um, so what exactly is workplace optimism? Yeah. So workplace optimism isn't about I'm an optimist, you're a realist, and, you know, someone else is a pessimist. It has nothing to do with your perception on how things are in life. It's more about that sense that you have that when you come into work, you believe that good things are going to come from your hard work that you uh, actually understand the bigger picture that's related to what you do. And then you know, on the on kind of more nuanced side of it, in these optimistic cultures or climates, these work environments, there is a sense of, you know, let's focus on what's possible and also what's right about our organization. You know, our brains are wired to focus on the problems, right? It's just part of right. our, our makeup. But these optimistic climates have developed a discipline around, okay, well, what's possible? We've got this problem. What's possible? And also giving credit for the things that are working because there's, some, there's, there's momentum behind that, and we get stuck when we just focus on the problems and what's wrong. Yeah, and you know, that's so interesting because I think the 20, 20th century was really more fob, problem-focused. And 
it seems to me that the 21st century is really more about the future. How can we how can we make a better place for others? Yeah, yeah, I, I see I see that a lot in uh, in in the talks that I've given and in the conversations that I've had with people about the book that there is this groundswell of positivity that you know I think it's in part driven by the the conversation that the millennial generation has sparked that, you know, we all want something more from this time that we give to an organization. And so I think that's definitely influencing how people are looking at the way we approach work. Yeah. So how much impact do you think technology is going to have? Oh gosh. I think it's, it's, it's pretty significant. I was talking with, uh, a technology expert last week. One of the things that he said was that that a future skill of a leader needs they need to be technology adaptable, meaning you got to be able to adapt quickly to new technology as it's rolled out. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind, and that's a pretty scary statement. Um, it is. There's a large group in the workforce that are slow to adapt to technology as our organizations. Right. Uh, I think it's going to drive the way that, it's already driving the way we communicate. I think it's going to automate a lot of uh, way things are done. Uh, You know, marketing systems do so much that used to require a human being to implement these robust marketing systems you know, have they do it automatically now just through their algorithms right so i think i don't think it removes the human element uh i think it just we interact with it in a different way and we have to be willing to to be savvy enough to adapt yeah i wonder what that's going to do to jobs though you know, you know what's scary about that? When this, and this is a professor, uh, I can't remember where, I think it's at UC Irvine. What it, what it said to me was, if you have the money and access to education, you'll be fine. And if you don't, then you're going to have even a more struggle. And so it, what yeah. worried me about that was just this greater divide in the workplace yeah. between those who have money and access to education and those who don't. Yeah, yeah, I, I have the same, uh, same sense of that and the same feeling and everything that I've been research, researching and reading. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's I, I think the world is shifting so much and technology is shifting it so fast that to go back to, you know, what we kind of had in the 20th century, those, those days are gone. And yeah, there's no looking back. There's there there's no going back. So it's kind of foolhardy in my mind to be be looking at that. What's the, that future bring, and what are the jobs going to look like uh, in the future? And what's the organizational element? What are they going to look like? And and uh, you know how are you going to attract people to these kinds of forward looking organizations and keep them right. excited? Oh, yeah. You know that that's where I think. The whispers are today, if, if you will. So uh, tell me something. 
you talk about the downsides of being too optimistic. What are some of the missteps? And, you know, let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So there are, there are I, I write about six of them in, in the book. And, you know, for the sake of time, we won't get into all six. So I'll share a couple of them. The first is that when optimism is left unchecked, it creates what I call the country club effect, where it feels good to work somewhere, but there's little accountability to results, leadership, management, whatever descriptor you want to use, isn't having the hard conversations with those people who are underperforming, and you've got people who are you know, carrying the team, who are fatigued, but everybody's you know, got the smile on their face because you know, it's, 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 a good, it's a good gig. So when, and there's an assumption in what I said there, in, in optimistic environments, they're high-performing organizations, they're high-performing teams, and part of that comes with having those what I call caring conversations. Like, you know what, you're doing great work, however, we've got an area over here that's a problem, we need to talk about that. So that's one misstep. Um, another misstep that I, I see happen time and again is this whole um, this this over overcorrection, I guess I'll call it, on um, looking at profits and profits, and I call it profit myopia, where it's just like we just focus on how much money we make, and it actually undermines optimism from emerging um, because everybody knows who works in, a, in an organization, large or small, the company needs to be profitable. It's like, yeah, we know that's part of the equation, but my contribution to this organization isn't just to generate revenue for the company. I get something out of this as well. You know? And so when we have this profit myopia, we... we stop seeing the personal implications of somebody investing all their time in working for an organization. So those are two missteps that can come from optimism. One's kind of going the other direction, and one is because it's, there's too much. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, you show profitability charts to people and they just don't get excited. You show things to no. people about what's really that they've contributed, what's really been impacted as a result of the work that they've done, and they get excited. Yeah, it's, you know, there's, there's the pers- there are personal implications because of that, right? You know, oh, look what I did. But right. there are also what I call community implications. Like, look what we did. We helped yep. bring a new product to market that's doing well. We helped... Um, bring the the uh, the best quarter to the to the the, the sales team. You know, so I think when people can see positive outcomes, and, and I'll, let me just share one example. Um, one of the companies is Luck Companies that's in the book, and they had uh, an incident where uh, a colleague had a parent who had cancer and was passing away, but the guy didn't have enough uh, 
vacation time to take time off. So they came up with, and this isn't unusual, uh, but it didn't exist in their organization. It was the employees who said, let's have a way to gift our time so that this employee could be with their dying parent. And, you know, that kind of community coming together has far longer reaches longer lasting impact on performance than like what you're talking about saying, Oh, we beat, you know, shareholder expectations. Right. This quarter. Whoopee. Yeah. (laughs) So we're at break. We've got to take another break. It's stay with us. We're talking to Sean uh, Murphy. Uh, Sean, we have a question that comes in uh, that's come in from uh, emailed in from the audience. And we'll talk about that after we come back from break. Stay with us. Great conversation on how you create optimistic workplaces. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, Back to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. We're talking to Sean Murphy, um, CEO of Switch and Shift, and just really having a great conversation about optimistic workforces and what they're going to look like in the future. Sean, we've had two questions get emailed in from the field. And the first question is, is it possible to have too much optimism? What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if we are, if, if we're surrounded only by those who are looking at the bright side of things, we, we stop hearing the voice of dissent or the devil's advocate voice. And, you know, when you are 
trying to do something different, innovative, creative, you need many different perspectives. And um, those different perspectives actually help create more optimism because people feel more included. Um, So, yes, there is such a thing as too much. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do if you see too much optimism? Yeah, so one of the things that I write about in the book is that you really want to make sure you have some allies in in doing this work. And those allies, part of their responsibility is to uh, be honest with you, transparent when things seemingly are going too rosy. You know, when when there are signs that the uh, country club effect are... Uh, you know, taking place when people aren't having difficult conversations. So you want to have somebody who can check you, and that could be a colleague in a different team, or it could be someone within the team that you trust and is strong enough to be able to say, hey, we need to talk about this. Yeah. Sometimes I call that, as as you know, it's what Rob Cook uh, would call it as, you know, it's the go-along-to-get-along culture that we know really does mm-hmm. not produce the best results. So I have another question um, that was emailed in, and it's what three things can you say for someone to do now that's very actionable that will create an optimistic workforce? Yeah, uh, good, great question. I love the, the, the how tangible this is. So there are what I call optimism-building practices, and one of them is create clarity. And this is probably one of the most important ones. And what it is, is I can say this simply, but it's more complicated in action. But if you want people to feel optimistic, they need to understand where are we going. So there needs to be clear goals, and those goals aren't just goals for an individual, which is what most organizations do. The goals are also broken down for the team. So what is the team responsible for, and then what do I need to do to be able to contribute to that? It's not just about the rugged individual in optimistic workplaces. The other part to creating clarity is that there is clear prioritization. Uh, I see often people running around not knowing what is most important, or they're saying, oh, everything is important. And, of course, the cliche is if everything is important, nothing is important. But in optimistic work environments, the leader diligently and with discipline makes sure that she's aware of what the priorities are for the team and that each person is aware of what their priorities are in contributing to that. Uh, and then expectations, right? You know, so this isn't, this isn't like new stuff. This is classic, classic leadership. But in this era with all this input and constant change, these things get set aside in the effort of just quote unquote doing. So create clarity. Definitely a key thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Sean, it's been a great conversation. I I need to follow up with you on a a couple of things and talk to you more about it. How uh, how can people get a hold of you and, you know, tell us just a little bit about what your company does? Sure. So uh, Switch and Shift is uh, an organization that believes in what we call the human side of business, that if we're really going to 
be successful in the 21st century, we need to be able to have a stronger focus on relationships, uh, the way that we communicate, uh, you know, kind of the, if you'll allow me to geek out for a second, the human systems that allow for people to interact and, and do their work well. Um, what we do is we focus on organizational change, organizational development type work, and we're rolling out some workshops and some events that coincide with the work that we're doing. So uh, that's what Switch and Shift is about, and we've got a really robust content development side. So if you go to switchandshift.com, go to the blog, lots of great writers uh, sharing their thoughts around the human side of business. Great, great. Well, it's certainly near and dear to my heart because I think the human side of business is going to be so much more of an important factor as we have more and more things that are going to be done through artificial intelligence, through algorithms, and people are going to need to connect at a much deeper and more emotional level in order to continue uh, the innovation and creativity that we're going to need in the future. So how do people get a hold of you, uh, Sean? Yeah, a couple ways. You can email me, and Sean is S-H-A-W-N, Sean at switchandshift.com, and and is spelled out. Uh, Connect with me on LinkedIn, and I'm very active on Twitter. I'm at the Sean Murphy on Twitter and Instagram. So I got all the social media covered. Good for you. That's great. Well, Sean, again, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate it. And for my listeners that are still on, thank you so much for being part of helping to make I Lead the Leadership Connection a real place where people go to learn cutting edge and have cutting edge discussions on what it's going to be like and what they need to do to lead in the future. I have Rita McGrath coming up. Uh, soon who is a professor from Columbia University wrote a brilliant book on strategy and what's going on there I have Jean Lee from PricewaterhouseCoopers who is going to be talking about their research on the future of work and some other CEOs coming down the pike so thank you everyone for uh, joining and if you want to get a hold of me it's Linda at LindaSharkey.com Love to speak to your groups. Uh, Love to talk about the future of work. Love to talk about how to develop talent and how to develop leaders for the 21st century. So, thanks again. Stay tuned for next week. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 